0: Standing by right now is the one and the only Sean
1: Mooney. Who?
0: Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, See if he's breathing.
1: Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be?
0: Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Primetime with Sean Mooney. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. I am back from Las Vegas, and what an incredible week it was. I had... I, I just I had a blast. I, I don't even know where to begin, uh, folks, because uh, I arrived there last Thursday really having no idea what uh, Conrad and the gang had in mind for me. Uh, I did know that I was going to host a live stage show, a uh, sharpshooter, Brett Hart in his own words. Uh, and I, boy, I had a great time doing that show with Brett and getting caught up with him Uh, It was just uh, fantastic to be on the stage there. We had a great crowd and uh, hearing, you know, Brett talk about his career and uh, some of the other memories he had. And of course that week they were uh, remembering Owen. There was actually a a stage show uh, called Remembering Owen. Owen Hart uh, passed away uh, that, uh, you know, 20 years ago that week uh, on May 23rd. And uh, of course, you know, Brett wasn't there for that, but uh, we did have a chance to talk about Owen. And I had an opportunity to work with Owen and just uh, remembering just what an incredible human being he was. He wasn't just just an awesome wrestler. Uh, He was also just this uh, incredible person. And, uh, you know, Brett had a lot to say about him, had a lot to say about... Uh, you know, the business and what he went through. And we talked about other wrestlers. And of course, you know, he can't help himself. He has to take a few jabs out there. But uh, overall, it was just fantastic. And then another big part of this show that we did was uh, having Tom McGee come on stage with us. Now, you guys know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the famous Holy Grail match, the one that was supposedly missing out there. Nobody knew where it was uh these people that uh you know that uh, you know chase down these tapes uh they had been looking for this thing and of course it it turns up uh <laughs> Brett had it and the uh you know lost the track of it and then it, it you know, the WWE put it out but anyway to get both Brett and Tom McGee on the stage talking about this incredible match and and what it was it was it was Tom McGee's tryout now He had come with this incredible hype because he was this very gifted athlete. He had this incredible physique chiseled from granite. Uh, He had the flowing locks, the blonde hair, and Vince thought this could be the guy. And when they have uh, personalities like that, you know, a lot of times you have a tryout match, they just put them against some jobber who knows what he's doing, you know, an enhancement talent. Uh, that will make him look good. But Vince really wanted him to look good and wanted to see what he could do. Well, he could not have put him in the ring with somebody uh, who was more capable of doing that than Brett the Hitman Hart. And Brett, you know, true to the business, I mean, he could have said no way. Uh, he had his reservations, but uh, Tom McGee had trained with his father, Stu, and of course, uh, Brett does what he's asked to do, and, and he was also promised this that this match would never be shown on television, and uh, so he did it, and he made Tom look uh, not even human, not even real. He would be. he he. he this match was so great that uh, the lore goes that Vince went crazy backstage, just uh, in awe of, of what Tom was doing in the ring. And at one point uh, they say, he said, you know, that's my next Hulkster, you know, uh, but, and, and, and Brett said, when he went back, say, Brett, uh, uh, Vince didn't even say anything to him that he was just so impressed by Tom McGee. Well, uh, as we know, it, it didn't, uh, didn't turn out that way. And uh, the rest is history, but it was just really cool. I'm going to use that word to be on stage with both of these guys, watching the match together, commenting on it throughout, and uh, it, it, I'm just going to leave it at that. But um, big shout out to Fight TV and Mike Weber who uh, runs that, and he uh, actually gave us the the link to that, and we're going to be putting up clips of that um, of that show. So the and, and also the link that if you want to see the whole thing, but, uh, we're going to be putting some clips up, uh, through our social media outlets there, and you're going to get a chance to hear some of it. And then if you can, if you want to want to see the whole thing, we'll, we'll provide you a link so that you can do that. But that was just one of the great highlights of the weekend. That was certainly something I was looking forward to. We did the retro interviews, something that I did at StarCast last year here at StarCast 2. Uh, we do these retro interviews where people, we had a background and people would come uh, and line up. And I was just blown away by how many people <laughs> wanted to do this. But they would do a, they did a mock interview with me and they could video it, uh, videotape it on their phone. And uh, it was fun. It was really fun they, that, uh, you know, having them come on there and they got to do whatever gimmick they wanted to. We had a couple, I had a couple that came on there. They were getting married and they wanted to do their announcement And it it was, it was just great. Just part of this fantastic weekend. And as I said, when I went there, I had no idea what they had planned for me. And I ended up, God, I don't know, 10 or 12 of uh, doing the intros and and, and outs, uh, outs to these live stage shows, which was really fun because uh, I got a chance to work with Tony Schiavone several times. And Tony and I haven't been around each other when we've seen each other. But to, to work together again, it was it was just a blast. I don't know if you caught it, but if you did, I think you could see how much fun we were having uh, that weekend. Got to catch up with some of my other old friends. I saw Ted DiBiase, got to spend a little time with him. Uh, also, Brutus the Barber Beefcake was there. Just, you know, on and on. Uh, that uh, Just seeing these guys was was uh, just so great and uh, Jimmy Hart I had a nice long conversation with Jimmy and uh, you know all these guys I want to get get Brutus back on talk about his uh, Hall of Fame induction Uh, well deserved I've always felt that he should be in the WWE Hall of Fame and also uh, had a a really great conversation with Jimmy Hart and oh yeah and I want to mention before we moved on though that if you saw the Tom McGee and Bret Hart show could you believe the transformation of of uh, Tom McGee. I mean, man, um, you know, he still lo- looks good, but I mean, if you saw him back in the day, it's a major transformation. So I, I encourage you, if you, if you can see that, uh, the replay on, on uh, fight TV, man, do it. And I'm going to help you do that. Uh, but anyway, I was saying that, uh, you know, seeing just so many, so many great, uh, people, so many, uh, awesome, uh, people from the past and also the future. Uh, I-, I saw Bruce Pritchard, uh, he's uh, back with the the WWE, and um, you know uh, I mentioned these guys from the future. we were, of course there, the Starcast two surrounding the AEW uh, event Double or Nothing, and uh, that was uh, you know I'd love to hear what you guys have to think about that uh, that uh, event because it, uh, it it is the future man. These guys uh, got it going on. It was a, a great event. I love the match between Cody and Dustin. Uh, Rhodes, and um great match between those two brothers a lot of juice there was <laughs> there was a lot of juice there was a point there where i was wondering, I'm, I'm, uh, you know thinking you know is dustin going to be able to get through this match he might lose so much blood he's just going to pass out but it was really it was an awesome match quite a finish uh, i also love watching the young bucks and seeing uh, them in the ring with the lucha brothers boy you got to pay attention in that match so much going on and uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more from uh, those duos. I mean, something for everybody. And of course, the big reveal at the end with uh, John Moxley, uh, aka Dean Ambrose, showing up. The big reveal there, uh, laying out everybody in the ring at the end of the main event, and then taking out Kenny Omega to close the show. As they start laying these storylines, guys, down uh, as they move into the uh, you know what they're going to be doing. They've already announced another. Uh, StarCast 3 is going to be taking place from their event taking, uh, AEW's event taking place back in Chicago once again. That's uh, coming up at the end of August. And I'm looking forward to being a part of that once again. So uh, it has begun. It has begun. And it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, they've uh, they've raised the bar once again. And I think that this is going to be awesome for the WWE and also AEW and you know all of professional wrestling. It can't do anything but help. And these crowds, uh, I actually interviewed some of the folks that were there just to get a, an idea of uh, what's happening, you know, to see what what, 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 is that, what is it that has all these people so fired up. And uh, we'll be talking a lot more about that in the, uh, the coming days. And I, I hope that, you know, we're going to continue to have people from the golden era, people from the attitude era, all these different eras But I'd also like to bring on some of these new personalities because not only to find out what's happening with professional wrestling today, but many of these guys uh, have great respect for the people that paved the road. And I love hearing their perspective about how they grew up and they were watching all these guys that we loved, you know, the Ted DiBiases, the Bret the Hitman Hearts, and they still, and that's why they have all these guys at these events. So it's all... uh, great stuff. And and, and no matter what era you're from, if you love professional wrestling, uh, that's why you should love this podcast because that's what it's all about. We're just celebrating and and having a great time and so many great conversations. And last week, we had a great guest from the Attitude Era, Fake Razor, Rick Bogner. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, What an awesome guest Rick was. And um, I loved learning about his life, and you know he was quite an accomplished wrestler before he arrived in the w w e and also a martial artist and you know you have to wonder what might have happened if he came into the w w e under different circumstances, um, you know before having a gimmick that basically was a career killer uh, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to thank Rick Bogner for coming on uh, he was he was just awesome this week. we are going old school once again. I love this. Uh, Most people today remember our guest for being one of Vince McMahon's stooges, (laughs) along with Pat Patterson. I think you know who I'm talking about. But my friends, uh, this individual is so much more than that, and one of the most respected men in the history of professional wrestling, equally for what he accomplished both in and out of the ring. And now you get to hear all about it. Time for my conversation with the one and only Jerry Briscoe ding 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 folks my guest this week is a man whose career in wrestling has spanned seven decades that's right because he pretty much started when he was in uh grade school and has lasted to this day and what a life covering just about every aspect you could imagine in the world of professional wrestling welcome gerald briscoe jerry thank you so much for coming on primetime how are you well,
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for the introduction. It, it, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Sean. I remember back in the old days when we worked together. You were huh. you were uh, an upcomer, and you 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 got up and you came and you did fantastic, and uh, you, you went on the grain of pastures, and uh, and I'm proud yeah. to be back on your show.
1: Yeah, well, I tell you, it's nice that uh, you know one way or another, we've all stayed in touch, and uh, even after all these years, it it really is it's awesome. We've run into each other a couple of times. But, um, you know, I was just thinking before we came on, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the Stooge. And I find it so ironic, though, that you ended your career in the ring as a Stooge because that could not be further from the truth of uh, who you are and who you were throughout your career. Because, you know, you you and Jack, your brother Jack, uh, knew very early on that, that you could be successful in this business, not just in the ring, which a lot of guys would be very satisfied with. But early on, you guys were already thinking about the other parts of this, the business end. How did you guys uh, think that way at such a young age?
0: Uh, That's an awesome question. And, and, uh, you know, uh, that was one of the, the most enjoyable times I ever had because there was no pressure on me and I could just go out and act stupid. And, 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 and as more stupid I was, the, the, the more we got over. So I just went with the flow. And <laughs> Pat Patterson used to hate the uh, term student. I used to rib rib Pat pretty much as what you said, Pat. We worked our entire career to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to be respected in ring with our work and both of us, you know, Achieve those heights, you know. Where we're, yeah. I think we're both pretty well respected in the ring on our own. And uh, then to go for that, to that, that was a completely different character role. You're right; it, it was completely different and uh, something that you know that we got used to that I uh, love. But uh, Jack and I, you know, back to your question, Jack and I, when when we first started out, we, you know, were fortunate enough to start amateur wrestling when we were young. My brother achieved great heights; he won a national championship, yeah. two-time All-American at Oklahoma State, and I followed with a wrestling scholarship to Oklahoma state also didn't achieve the, the accolade that he did with the national championship, but, uh, I was on a national championship team. And, uh, and so, well, as we got out of college, uh, Jack was already he was a few years older than me. He was already in the business. So during my spring breaks and summertime, I would hook up with Leroy McGurk, who was a local promoter there in, in Oklahoma who Jack started with, who was an Oklahoma state cowboy also. And, uh, I'd drive the ring truck around, so I'd, I'd, I did that you know, the old school thing. You know, I drove around the spot shows, set up, uh, set up the ring, set the seats up, set the box office up, sell tickets, do the settlement, pay the referees, pay the guys, load the ring back up and drive on to the next town. But, you know, when I was doing that, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd have uh, a pretty good, uh, what we called spot shows, you know, just show we run once a month. You'd have a pretty good crowd, so. When I do the, do the settlement, I was told, you know, uh, 30% goes to the talent and 70% goes to the promoter. Wow. And, you yeah. know, I'd like I said I went to college and I know what the difference between 70 and 30%, you know, <laughs> man, this is where the money's made. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, so, and so, uh, as we went on in a career, you know, you never you don't dream you don't ever think you're going to get the opportunity, but. It was just, you know, just the right timing when we came along. I'm really, uh, thrilled, especially with the guys that were during my era there. I mean, they're, they're, they're icons of the business, you know, and, uh, and guys that, that, that set the bar as high as it is, you know, the Fonks the mm-hmm. races and, uh, and guys like that, the buddy Coates, the old Hills and, uh, Paul Jones and just, uh, a Hawk and Hanson just that could go on and on. And, uh we were blessed to, to be with there. So, so we were able to make some money. So we're in Georgia and, and at the time, Georgia, it was, there was controversy even back in the, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, in the, late sixties when, when we were beginning this and uh, there was a promotion split. And so one side went on their own, like an independent and the other side of course was NWA and uh, mm-hmm. they needed some funds. And uh, you know, that's one thing my brother and I was always prideful of. We were, pretty frugal with with our bucks and uh we had the money to invest and so we started investing in georgia championship and then jack came down to florida and got over and i came down to florida we got over then we got over as a tag team and eddie graham ran into uh he was wanting to make a big land investment and he needed some uh some cash and uh and once again we were able to come up with the cash so uh we were able to buy parts of georgia and parts of uh Florida, but we knew that at a pretty early age that uh, the promotion, you know, you was not going to be able to be in the ring all your life, and what are you going to do? And so, uh Jack was, you know, so good, a he world heavyweight champion and everything. Jack made a lot of money and, and uh, a lot more than I did because he was world heavyweight champion. And, uh, and along with that, and, uh, the territory he was able to retire. So, uh, but, I, you know, I needed something to do, so uh, I, I, I continued on, 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 the, on the wrestling trail uh, at that time there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and before we really get into that, uh, you know, the professional wrestling part of your career, uh, I want to go back because, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know where you came from and where this uh, discipline came from to, like you said, you guys saved your money. Who does that at that age when you start earning money? and You're thinking, man, the first time I've got money, I'm going to spend it. But uh, uh, growing up, I guess, in Blackwell, Oklahoma, and if you look at a map, folks, uh, it's <laughs> it's north of Oklahoma City, and you look at it, and there's all these little towns everywhere. You know, there's you know, Deer Creek and uh, Takawa and Brahman, and what was that area like, and, and what was it like growing up? Uh, I, I think you had uh, five siblings, and, and um, uh, I don't yes. know uh, what your parents' situation was. But I can't imagine it was, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, luxur- luxurious life, uh, growing up.
0: Well, uh, uh, it wasn't, uh, but it was, it was, it was a lesson that we, I, I was actually born, uh, in a little town called Seminole and grew up the first two years I attended school. It was in a little town called Bowlegs, Oklahoma uh-huh. named after chief Billy Bowlegs, the great Seminole chief. And, uh, population barely 200. We like to say when the Briscoe family left, it went down to about 150. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was rural Oklahoma, and uh, yeah. and uh, my dad, you know, my mom uh, was uh, full-blooded Chickasaw Indian, and we, we, we got head rights and, and land allotments, you know, for when when, uh, when the white people uh, forced us to move our homeland uh, from uh, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, and put us on a trail of tears and march us out to Oklahoma. and we were a lot of uh, allotment of land out there so we're we're in southern Oklahoma hilly hilly part of Oklahoma beautiful spot but not a lot of population most mostly uh indigenous people there that live there from the five civilized tribes and uh and uh my oldest brother Gene there were six of us my oldest brother Gene he was, he was quite an athlete too he was uh, like a Division Two uh, All-American basketball player, big big old boy, and uh, mm. and my brother Bill, uh, uh uh my my dad. I'll get back to him. my dad uh, uh when uh, he had six kids. Uh, it, it was you know right after the Dust Bowl, and you know in Oklahoma at Dust Bowl. I don't know uh, if very many people know their history, but back back in the days, you know, the they had a big dust storm that cover up all the crops in Oklahoma. You know, the people were there everybody migrated out west and so my dad got the bright idea you know he's gonna load up a truck and move to beverly but we didn't make it to beverly hills like the beverly hills we've got somewhere in the valley you know where there's farms that you could pick fruit and everybody could go to work so my dad hauled us all out there. My two older brothers, one stayed at school in Oklahoma, and the other one uh, lied about his age and joined the Marine Corps and tried to get in uh, a Korean war, but, uh, but uh, couldn't do it because they found out his real age. Huh. And so uh, we were all out picking crops and finally my mom had enough of it. and just, She said, I'm you know, loading up four of them, going back to Oklahoma. So my dad put us on a damn bus and uh, sent us back to Oklahoma. He would sold all of our allotment land, so we didn't have nothing, so my mom come from a big family too. So, uh, we, uh, she called one of her sisters. She had two sisters in Oklahoma in Blackwell. So that, that's how we ended up in Blackwell. We went and stayed with them, till my mom to get on her feet and get us a house. And we moved into the house. And uh, that's when I got introduced to wrestling though. Yeah. And, you know, I was always teased because I would, they called me half breed, you know, but it was, it was, it was so different back then, Sean. You know, I, I lived in a, in a town blackwell It was a sunset town. I don't know if you're familiar with, with a sunset town in, in, in the South, but uh, it's people of color are not allowed in the city limit after the sun goes down. Penalty of death. And so it was a redneck town. And like I said, I got called all kinds of names. You know, we did have a dad, and we were poor, and. Uh, and we were we're Native American, so you know. But all of a sudden, you know, Jack started wrestling, I started wrestling, and uh, we got good at it. And things started changing. I didn't get teased and bullied <laughs> like yeah. I did before, yeah. cause, uh, cause I could handle myself. And people started knowing it. So uh, pretty soon, people were trying to make friends with me instead of uh you know uh, bullying me because uh, I was I had a friend I saw out in Pittsburgh at national wrestling tournament. Because he was a wealthy guy. Had, why'd, why'd, he said, I, first I was friends with you, so I wouldn't get beat up because I knew if I was <laughs> with you, nobody would a fight with me. Yeah. So, so we, we come up the hard way, you know, scratching and fighting like everybody did out in the rural Oklahoma. But it, it was quite a place to live up. It's one of those towns where everybody knows your name, everybody knows what you're doing. So my mom, I mean, if you're out late at night, you're doing something bad before you got home. She knew about it, you know, so and we got disciplined and I think that really helped us in wrestling. We got introduced to wrestling, and uh, we kept on. Jack won a scholarship, and then we moved to Stillwater. And I finished uh, high school in Stillwater and and yeah, got a scholarship also at Oklahoma State. We both completed there. And uh, Jack, uh, uh, Leroy, like I said earlier, Leroy McGurk was a local promoter in uh, in Oklahoma, and, and uh, he liked Jack. So we called, uh, called the coach and said, hey, you think that guy would want to be a pro? And he said, I, let me talk to him. And Jack said, sure. Because Danny Hodge was our hero. Hodge grew up probably 15 miles away from uh, where my brother and I grew up. So uh, Jack started wrestling. I, uh, I stayed at Oklahoma State until I was uh, a junior. And uh, then I realized, you know, that that I wasn't I was behind a world champion. And I just couldn't drop to the next weight. And I couldn't go up because there was a two time national champion at the weight above me. Oklahoma State was loaded. Like I said, we went. A couple of national championships while I was there, and uh, a team uh, uh titled while I was there, and so uh I decided, you know, uh, I'd work like I said, setting up the ring and the stuff like that on the weekends you know, on summertime and spring break, and made pretty good money. And uh, so I, I called Jack. Jack, I'm going to leave school and I won't be a wrestler. He said, "Well, come on, you know." So he happened to be on a road trip and. One of the guys got hurt that night up in Joplin, Missouri, gorgeous, George, junior with Jack's partner. He got hurt that night and we we're wrestling buddy coat. And, uh, uh, I can't recall the other guy's name, uh, the dandy, Jack Donovan. Mm-hmm. and so, well, who were we going to use the Jack's partner. And buddy Coat said, how about your brother? Jack said, well, he don't know nothing. Well, he wrestled <laughs> college, didn't he? Yeah. Well, let's teach him a headlock and a hammerlock and put him out in the ring. So they in the (laughs) dressing room, they they taught me a hammerlock and a headlock. And Buddy said, don't do a thing unless I tell you to do it. He said, you know how to take me down, right? And I said, yes, sir. He said, don't throw a punch, whatever you do. And don't kick me, whatever you do. And so I listened to Buddy. And we got through the match and came back. And then we went out and did a two-hour, three-fall match. And everybody seemed pretty pleased. And uh, from there, I just started working kind of regular and filling in here and there until I got a full-time spot one of the guys left and they were gave me a full-time spot so that's basically how i started in professional wrestling
1: wow that's uh that's quite a story and uh uh that i think we're talking about late 60s at this point was 69 uh, It was yeah, yeah six, okay so was it the wild west what was it like back i mean in the in, there were some rich wrestling territories down there um but uh, a lot of people don't realize that how that all worked and it was it wasn't just up north. I mean, there was a lot happening down south. There was some really uh, great wrestling, even in Florida as well.
0: Well, there was. And, you know, uh, by our gig there in Oklahoma, they, it was a huge territory. It covered, covered Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, parts of Texas, wow. Missouri, wow. Kansas. So you're on the road quite a bit. My first gig, Leroy wanted to kind of use me. But uh, back in those days, you know, and I think you were even when you're around. Uh, I mean, if you're a local guy, they didn't use you too well in your, in your hometown, but, uh, Leroy, uh, Lero said, I'm going to send you down Louisiana. So, uh, I went down there and, uh, and John was well, the house. The, the crew down there was, was selling out, you know, Shreveport, uh, uh, New Orleans, uh, Baton Rouge, uh, uh, you know, uh, we we're in Jackson, Mississippi. And I mean, they were just packing it. And I got an opportunity to go down there and, uh, and get on top and start working with the top guys. So it kind of cut the, the middle part of my career out. And I just, uh, when I started working with these top guys, I started getting better and better and better because I'm working with top talent And uh Oklahoma, uh, I'm going to tell you something here. That's very interesting. Uh, Leroy McGurk was a blind guy and he said on TV Thanks. and did uh, probably, you probably heard, uh, Jim Ross talk about this too. Leroy McGurk would do color commentary, totally blind, but he could tell by the sound of the math, what moves you got, uh, what you were doing in the ring. And it was oh, phenomenal. And but, uh, he was accurate. He was accurate Most of the time he could tell by, how, you know, how the bump sounded, what you were doing and, uh, yeah. he was pretty accurate. And the guy next to him was a, a big shot, uh, DJ there in Oklahoma city and, uh, if he was wrong, they would, uh, or Danny would, Danny would just, you know, slightly correct him. Oh yeah, you're right. You know, it was, it was a body statement instead of an arm. Right. But <laughs> and nobody they, listened. to made
1: difference.
0: <laughs> nobody knew the difference. No, but, uh, it was phenomenal. So, uh, but, uh, Leroy also was up in age. So he remembered the wrestlers by what they looked like when, before he went blind, because he's in a car accident and
1: lost yeah, his, his eyes.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so these guys would come in and most of the guys there were at the end of their careers but they were very talented guys, but he Leroy remembered them how they used to look. So but he would get reports, you know, just like uh Vince does today, you know, hey, this kid's getting over so I started moving up the card because I was a young guy. I was the youngest guy in the territory and then, so I started moving up the card because of my youth and uh these guys uh wanting to work with me because we were starting to draw money. So uh from there, uh jack had returned to australia uh, i'd come back from australia and went to florida so uh jim barnett an old okey also uh jack had told him about me so uh, uh jim barnett called leroy mcgurk and wanted to know if he could uh, let me come to australia for a few months so uh mm-hmm. leroy said sure I'll, I'll let him come down there he, he's a good kid you know he'll he'll, he'll do good down there so I went down for three months. ended up staying uh, thirteen months in Australia. And wow. I had the time of my life. And from, from there, I went to North Carolina. So, yeah, you know, and but I, people I, don't
1: re- go ahead. I was going to say people don't remember or probably even know about uh, you know the wrestling they had down in Australia with Jim uh, Barnett, as you mentioned, that went down there. And uh, for a number of years, that was uh, a great destination. And then, of course, they had the Eurasian uh, you know wrestlers that would come in through there. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Because of course you got your education in the South. Uh, that's one brand, but uh, w- how did it change and impact your, your, uh, your career going there?
0: Oh, it was so different. Like I said, I was working with a bunch of very skilled veterans when, when I was in Oklahoma, Yeah. when I went to Australia, uh, like you said, Jim, Jim was very successful down there for years and Jim brought in guys. And you know, I was like everybody else. I, I I was a magazine lad. I, my, my older sister worked in a drug store and every time a wrestling magazine would come in, she'd call and say, Gerald, the magazines are in. And I'd go down there and, <laughs> and her boss used to get mad at her cause I'd stand there and go through every damn magazine they put on the rack,
1: bending all the, pages. <laughs> yeah,
0: bending all the pages up, you know, before they went on sale. Uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I got, you know, a visual of all these guys. So when I went to Australia, I, I went down there, there was Mark Lewin, there was King Curtis. There was uh, uh, Keller Kowalski, who I, you know, in a business, you, when you work with somebody a long time, they say you're married to him. So I worked with Keller, like, for three months straight. And you talk about an education. I mean, that was, because I was still green in the business. I hadn't been in the business at barely a year. And here I am working with these great guys and uh, great talent. We went to Australia. We went to New Zealand. We went to uh, Singapore. We went to uh uh, Hong Kong, we, we went all over Asia and Bardette, like, like you said, he, he, he had a, na- a national TV service in, in Australia, which was unheard of. There was only two channels down there and we were, we were on for two hours on one of the, on the biggest national TV uh, station in, in the country of Australia. So we got to go all over and that show went all over also. So mm. it was quite an education. Finally, had finished my year up there and it was time to go. Rip Hock and sweet Hansen were there and they were uh the number one heels in uh, in carolina and they really liked my work and and they said why don't you come to carolina we'll call crockett and we'll get you a good spot in carolina well jim jim barnett was also trying to talk me into going into san francisco uh with roy shires and um, i was really mm-hmm. tempted to go there because it was the west coast and i kind of wanted to see an oakie. kind of wanted to see what that that area was like but uh Jim, by uh, Jim, uh, Crockett senior called Barnett first and told him, Hey, send this kid here. You know, uh, one of my top guys is leaving and I'll put him, I'll put him right on top. So Barnett talked to me and said, hey, you should you take Jim senior up on his, on his deal for you. And so I said, okay. So I went there. Plus my brother was in Florida and we'd made this pack when, when we first started out, you know, don't be a tag team right off. You know, you go do your thing and I'll go do my thing. And you know, and then when, when, when our careers start winding down, if we need it, you know, we'll team up for a little bit. So I went to Carolina's did my deal. And he was down here in Florida, but we we're both, you know, ruling both of our territories and Eddie and, uh, Jim senior were Eddie Graham and Jim senior were good friends. So they started exchanging talent and Jack would come up to Carolina for a week. And, uh, We'd team up against the Funk brothers, and I'd come down here to Florida and team up with Jack and would wrestle against the hottest team down here. So it was kind of a, a tailor-made deal where we had the best of two territories at an
1: early age,
0: and, and that was unheard of at that time. You
1: know. yeah. that's, uh, that's incredible because uh, you know we think back at that time and people uh, who don't know about how those territories worked, and you mentioned a little bit uh, Leroy McGurk and you know how you would exchange talent. And uh, if you knew what you were doing and and you were a a good hand, I mean, if you uh, were were a great talent, uh, you could uh, bounce between these territories and stay, you know what, I guess seven or eight months until something would, you know, get to a point because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have uh, the the TV coverage like we did today, uh, you know, when cable came along. So you could really have a great career just going between these territories. And once things wound down, you go somewhere else and, uh, it seems like uh, that you and Jack understood that very early. Is that true?
0: That's true, and you, you're exactly right on the, on that analogy. There, we 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 spent our entire career in the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida. I huh. mean, granted, you know, when Jack was champion, he traveled all over the world defending it. But we also, you know, because we we got so hot there for a while, Sean, and we're you know. Promoters like in St. Louis, Sam Musnick, you know, would Sam. If you went to St. Louis, you know, you were considered one of the top stars in the country. And uh, and we started getting them, but St. Louis, and from St. Louis, we started getting booked in Houston for Paul Bosch. So we 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 were kind of really fortunate at the time, like I said, you know, when we came along because of our age and, and our our college style. We we wrestled. We didn't do a lot of the a lot of the the old school still, we did, we did stuff that we brought from college racing, which made our, our, our baby face in and heal a little bit different than what the average guy was out there because most of them didn't go to school. Most of them didn't have amateur wrestling backgrounds, but when, mm-hmm. when you have that background, you know, I had like, like I said, I had, I had 10 years of wrestling. I went to Joppa, Missouri and I'd never been a pro ring in my life. And, and I went out and had a 20 minute match that was probably today we can we be be on wrong, you <laughs> know, my yep, very first right. match. Yep. And that I contribute that because of my wrestling background. But uh, it was really an asset and uh, we got to move around a lot and and travel, like I said, to the to the really money towns and from there, you know, we go to Japan and we go down to to Puerto Rico and work in Puerto Rico. Or up in Canada, work in Toronto. So even though we are based in these territories, uh, our name had spread. Where promoters were calling and wanting us to to hit their territories too. So, it was it was a great time for us.
1: So you know you you mentioned the the amateur background that you had, and now today we see that uh, you know with MMA if uh, MMA if you have that uh, amateur wrestling background, those are usually the most successful uh, fighters there are. There that wasn't around. I believe around all back
0: 10 then. champions are amateur wrestlers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've uh, interviewed a number of them and and all of them, the ones that are the, they talk about that of all their skills of the, having that amateur wrestling background is what makes them uh, who they are and and, and as successful as they are. But this wasn't an option back then. So uh, how much of an advantage was it though, making that transition? And was it difficult initially at first? Because, uh, you know, we talk about shooters, you guys were certainly could be considered that, but at the same time you gotta work with people and not hurt them. Oh
0: that's, that's funny in a very early in our career we realized the business was at work. Yeah. You know, and and uh you know we'd we'd want we'd beat just about everybody we'd been in on the mat with. So uh you know and we knew who we could beat, we knew who we could mess with, we knew who who we shouldn't mess with. And uh and it was just one of those deals where, you know, the guys were, some of them would make, fun, oh, watch him, he's a shooter boy, he's a shooter boy. But we realized it was a work right away. And I think that's why why the guys really uh, are, you know, our opponents and, and, and guys like Defunks and races and those guys they knew that we knew what the business was about. We got what the business was about. So we learned how to work right away, and we stayed away. I mean, we would do our moves because they, they were signature moves. They were moves nobody else could do or would do. And so uh, we we got, uh, we got you know, teased about being shooter boys and all that stuff. But we, like I said, we knew it worked, a work. So we figured, hey, if we work with these guys, they're going to like us, and they're going to talk about uh, that to the promoters, and, you know, we're going to get elevated. So we knew, you know, we could beat you, so why would I go out there and do it? I mean, if it's a work, you don't beat me. I don't care. Pay me. That's all I, right. That's all we were after it was, was pay, payday. Yeah,
1: but at the same time, though, if uh, someone tried to uh, get uh, smart out there, you guys could certainly uh, shut that down in a hurry, I guess is the way to put it.
0: Very few tried, <laughs> but a few tried, you yeah. know, but very few really gave it a good shot. <laughs>
1: Uh, At at what point is, is, uh, would you consider, I mean, early on, of course, you had so many things that would happen along your career, but where you guys really started feeling like you were among the elite, that, uh, you know, that the NWA back then was really, there was uh, so much going on in there. Uh, At what point, you know, after you had started, did you start uh, feeling that, you know, we are among the best out there? Well, you know, I never did,
0: and I don't think really? Jack ever did either. I, I I never did, and I and I I always looked around. There were always guys that I admired and respected. You know that I thought was the best. You know, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought I could compete with them, and I thought I should be in the ring with them. But I never thought I was the best. I think that's when you start losing control of yourself when when you think you're the best and you can't learn anything. I always wanted to learn. I would go, like I said, if I if I was working in Florida and I would go to St. Louis or Houston, I'd watch the matches out there. And if there was stuff that I, that I had done or I hadn't seen before, I would steal it. I mean, you know, as long as they weren't in my territory, you know, hell with them. I'll take their moves and go take it to Florida. Now it's my move. So when they come to Florida, it's my move. You know, I wouldn't do it in their territory. Which these guys now, every one of them do steal each other's moves right, you know, right before the match, you know and a second match on and they're doing the same moves that, that the main event guys are doing, you know, which sucks, right. but we, you know, we had a system back then, in those days that you watched the matches and the promoter told you, you know, Hey, this is, this guy I've finished, stay away from it. Don't do it. So, uh, so we would, you know, so, but I never, never, ever, I felt like, you know, I was better than anybody else. I always felt I had to get better. I mean, you throw, you throw a kid in the ring with Johnny Valentine. You think you're the best. You're going to find out you're not the best real quick. you know. <laughs> so yeah. that keeps you grounded.
1: Well, and then, uh, you, you, mentioned the tag team action with your brother. And, uh, you know, at some point you realize that the, it's, it's going to make you a lot of money. I mean, over, uh, you know, the first, what, 13 years or so, you guys win like 20 tag team titles. Uh, at that point, I mean, did you guys realize? You know, this is this is uh, really our bread and butter.
0: No, uh, it, it was just one of those deals where, okay, you know, Jack uh, Jack wanted to do his career, and he he became world heavyweight champion. And after he he became champion, I was junior heavyweight world champion. Right, did my deal, and uh, you know, then the time came. You know, then then uh, tag teams started picking up steam a little bit, and we, uh, you know, and our and the funk brothers, you know, Dory and Terry, I mean, those are iconic matches and historical matches each and every one of them, whether they were single matches or tag team matches, but mm-hmm. we started hooking up with the funks and that's when we started really hitting it, traveling all over, all over basically the world with, uh, Dory and Terry funk and, uh, working tag matches with those two there. And, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, you you feel like you're good, but you know, you're there's always there's always better people out there. But uh, working with those two guys was it was a walk in the park. We go out every night with those two guys, and uh, it, it was it was it was it was like a dance. I mean, we we were down so good together, and it worked out perfect. You had two uh, Native Americans against two Texas cowboys, two Texans against two Oklahomans. And back in those days, there weren't a lot of real brother tag teams, and you had two real brother yeah. tag teams, and yeah. both both uh, all four guys in the ring are very competitive guys individually, and uh, it just made for that magic in the ring that just clicked with the people and clicked with us. It was phenomenal.
1: You know, and, and this whole time, and uh, you know, your brother—it's not just your brother; he's your partner. And um, you guys are—are are you conducting business through all this? And how did you? I mean, you're traveling all over the place, and in many cases, even all over the world. Uh, were you doing that at the same time and, and running businesses? Because I know you ended up, you know, you started with a, a body shop eventually. And, but were you doing business then, too?
0: Yes. Uh, yes, we were. We started a body shop in 1974, and that was just a deal. My One of my brothers uh, was going through a divorce in uh, Denton, Texas. He owned, he owned, uh, uh, my dad was a mechanic, uh, when he was with us, he, was, he did mechanical work. So we grew up around automobiles. So mm-hmm. my brother, uh, went down to Dallas, uh, Denton, Texas, and started a body shop and we were going through a divorce and he lost it. So he moved to Florida, wanted something to do. And, 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 you know, like we said before, we knew that we couldn't wrestle all of our life, and knew at one time we'd have to have to hang them up and have fall back on something so my brother wanted to start a shop and one of the three of us so we started Bristol brothers body shop and with the profits, we started buying uh rental properties around tampa and ended up about 35 40 rental properties on top of it so uh-huh. we we were investing our money doing the right things and all that stuff but uh, we 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 were we were serving two, uh, two masters we were serving the wrestling master and we we're serving the business master and our, our body shop started booming popping and it was for long, it was the biggest body shop in, in, in Tampa, Florida, you know, and uh, uh-huh. we had to spend more time and Jack was at the part of his career where he was winding down and wanted to quit, you know, so he was spending more time there and, uh, than I was and my other brother. So, uh, so it, 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 it worked a combination of, of business uh, on the outside and business with the wrestling business that it, it worked because we, we had a lot of time for it and, and a lot of, uh, uh, uh. I uh, thought for it and uh, how we we're going to grow both both businesses. So, so it was fun. It was a challenge, but it was fun.
1: Yeah, but also also you were involved in the wrestling business too. You guys had pieces of uh, had pieces I don't of know two if at this point two major territories. <laughs> yeah, territories, and then also like some arenas. Was this all? Uh, yeah, we had at the two same arenas. Time?
0: We had the Tallahassee Sports Arena and we <laughs> had the Orlando Sandy <laughs> Grant Sports Complex. We owned uh, it, so <laughs> wow. we did a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but, uh, Les Thatcher and I in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1972 or 73 could have been 71. Even we started yeah. professional wrestling's first t-shirt business. We actually really? signed Andre, the giant for t t-shirt. You can go on and what is it? I work You yeah. Give plug Cause you go to get our t-shirt. Uh, I'm sure you got a t-shirt pro dot com yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Help yeah. me out here. And get yeah. Sean's uh, Moody's t-shirt and get the Briscoe Brothers t-shirt. But <laughs> there's one original shirt that shows that said Briscoe Booster. That was the original first pro wrestling t-shirt in the history of, uh, of t-shirt business of pro wrestling. Les Thatcher and I started that in Charlotte, uh-huh. North Carolina. So where did you we get that idea, though? It's
1: a, where did you get I, that we idea, were going
0: to rock, I, I, We were young. I was going to rock concerts, and uh-huh. rock guys were already selling shirts, and, you know. I told Les, I said, man, that'd be fantastic. Why don't we, why don't we have shirts? You know? So we talked to Jim Crockett and Jim Crockett said, I don't have time. For t-shirt. I'm a wrestling tomorrow. Will you mind if I do it? And this is Jim Crockett jr. Now. And he said, no, go ahead. And so this is, ends up uh, funny. Uh, so, so we did it. We signed Thunderbolt Patterson, signed uh, Mr. Wrestling one and two, Jack and myself, Les Thatcher. uh, and actually, Andre the Giant was signed with us, too. We had T-shirts of all those guys, and we'd take them to arenas. We'd load them up in the backseat of the arenas and uh, uh, take them. And, and at that time, you know, they were even new to arenas, so they weren't charging the percentages on us. So profit, you know, we'd have a couple of uh, big-breasted girls there in our T-shirts selling T-shirts, you know, and we sold them like hotcakes. <laughs> and, uh, Carolinas ran a lot of spot shows, baseball uh, baseball stadiums and uh, I'd go, I'd go early, set up my t-shirt and I'd go out and scout and find me the best looking girl there. I said, hey, I'll give you part of the profit and give you a t-shirt. If, if you'll sell my t-shirts during, during the matches, we started doing so good that all of a sudden the building wanted to charge us percentage to sell them. So we had to start there. Then, uh, it got so good that Crockett said, Hey, you guys can't sell those anymore.
1: Uh-huh. So he
0: kind of took the business away from us. So that, that didn't stop us. So what we did, uh, we're good friends with bill after as everybody was at that time. So we called yeah. bill and he go back in some of those old, uh, after mags and, and, the, the the, uh, the, the Georgia program and the Florida program, both carried ads where you could go and lot, uh, not online because they did that, but uh, go to right. send your money to a post office box, you know, yeah. and I uh, sent, um, uh, check her or money order and which would send you a t-shirt. So, through the after mags and the two programs we were in, we, we were making money. To sell those t-shirts like crazy. So we, yes. we were, we were, you know, we we wanted to make money. That's all it was. Yeah, but you're
1: ahead of your time though. That I mean, that's like first drop shipping. You know, what I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. send us yeah. a little. We'll we'll, you know, pay. Put it up. And put it in a box and send it out. I mean, that the first merch you guys were just yeah. ahead. And I know, I, I know, and I heard you tell another story that uh, at the arenas that you would sell you know, the, the, those cheap plastic cups and you'd put somebody's face on them oh, or something
0: yeah. like, Oh yeah. <laughs> at that, the arenas, you know, we would sell beer at the had license. So we'd yeah. have beer and all of a sudden we Hey, you know, how about if we dusty roads was hot? How about if we put to have a dusty roads cup and, and sell it, i uh, charge, you know, $3 and say the $7 for beer charge, $10. And you get a souvenir cup with Dusty Rhodes on it. So we'd do dusty one week. We do the Briscoe brothers a week. We do Dory Funk another week. We'd do uh Eddie Graham and Mike Graham, and we'd just, we'd, would make novelty cups. I mean, it's just something, you know, Sean, you know, when you, when you want to make money, you come up with ways to make money. If
1: it's sure, about you know, we were, we were, we are called
0: Like you said, we were college board and I took some marketing classes and you know, and I, I knew product was, was what to sell. You know, and like I said, I was young and I was going to concerts and I was seeing what was going on with these rock and roll guys and the promoters, big shop promoters at the rock concerts and. I would steal that and take to the wrestling business. Why
1: not? You know, they'll never see it. So. See, folks, if you want to know where it all started, the merch and wrestling, right? You're just you're hearing it right here, because right I mean, really, is. that's that's brilliant. But you say you say, yeah, we just want to make money, but nobody else was thinking about it, you know. So that, no. I mean, that's that's tremendous. I mean, to have that—that's what that I loved about uh, your story and your brother is that you guys you didn't wait for people to bring something to you. You're Like hell. Let's we're we're gonna do it. We've Let's got we'll it. save Let's our money, and and it's a great lesson to, for for everybody. I mean that that uh, even even today, uh, these guys are now taking back got their own you know with their own destiny. A lot of these guys you know like the young bucks and and Marty Skrull and these guys they are making a ton of money from their merch. Yeah. They have you to thank for this. And ne- next time I see, you, I'm yeah. gonna say you know what you just got to go over a little aside and just say uh, thank you, Jerry. I
0: I don't know where it came from if they do, because I've never got a thank you from anybody (laughs) except son of Bo Patterson when I give him his royalty check, you know, Uh, and I, I, even back in, I, you know, uh, get three or $400 and Sean, back in in the early 73 or $400 little, little side cash money. That was, that was, that was pretty damn good money at that time. (laughs) You You get a weekly, you know, that's a. Some of these territories guys would work a week of them, but would make five hundred dollars. You know, we were making three, four to five hundred dollars on merchandising at that time. Uh-huh. And when uh-huh. we started at beer sales, we were our our concessions doubled when we started novelty cups. Not uh-huh. only the novelty cups, but we we would do all kinds of give, giveaways, you know, stuff like just doing the promotions that you see that the rock and rollers are doing, you know.
1: Oh, and hey, uh, it worked. You
0: know, if it works for them, it's going to work for us. And it did. And then we had we were fortunate enough where we had a promoter, a partner, Eddie Graham, that trusted our, our, our thoughts and our input because we made him money.
1: And uh, yeah. he went
0: along with what we wanted to do. You know?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you guys got all this going on. And, and of course, you eventually become a, a scout. You still help out with the WWE now. But uh, back then, in a classic example, and I remember I had a, I, uh, when I did a podcast with, with Brutus, um, and he was talking about how you guys came to this club and this is when, uh, you know, Terry, and then he was playing in a band, uh, the ruckus, yeah. I think it was right. And you guys just came to this bar and is that, is that how it went down that you found him? You were just went to this club or you heard he, this guy was there. How did that all happen?
0: Oh, right. Well, you're, you're the first one to ask how it really happened. and I, yeah, I want the real that. story. Uh, uh, Okay, Here, here's what uh, Hogan was a huge fan. He was a from poor Tampa, you know, a yeah. very poor side of town of Tampa. You know where the docks are and dock workers are and all that stuff. But every Tuesday night, we'd see somebody this big guy sitting about five or six rows at ringside, you know, watching the matches. Never getting excited, just sitting there with arms crossed, kind of watching the matches, taking it all in. So. Yeah. I got curious and this one young lady that uh, I happen to know worked at bars, here, you know, a uh, barmaid in several nice spots uh, uh came up to us on a one, one uh TV tape which was uh, w- uh Wednesday mornings in Tampa and told us that uh, Terry Bolea, a big guy wanted to talk about getting into pro wrestling and she told us where he would be, that he was playing on a rock band called Ruckus over by University of South Florida. And uh, what night, I I, we asked her, Will he be there Thursday night because we had a short trip or something and we could drop in the bar at the end. So, she said, Yeah. So we went in there. Terry was playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we asked the young lady during break, Tell him to come down. We'll, we'll go to the back and we'll, we'll sit down and talk to him. So we saw him. We talked to him and we said, Okay, come down the next morning at uh, the at Sportatorium and uh, we'll put you in the ring against Mad Suda. Now, a lot of people don't know who he will, Mad Suda. It was bad, one of the baddest men that ever walked yeah, in the ring, yeah. you know. He could hurt you in and in look at you if he wanted to. And <laughs> uh, so we put him in with Terry, you know. And we, I mean, we get a lot of a lot of people back in the old days. Oh, I want to be a rash. I can do that crap. You know, anybody can do that crap. So we put him in against Hero Matsuda. And Hiro would, would make him seven foot tall and stretch the hell out of him. So yeah, right. we put Terry in there. And he got Terry in and, and, and an ankle lock. And, and Wanted Terry to tap, Terry wasn't tapping, so he he cranked up on it, and he broke Terry's ankle. And uh, yeah. and so we figured that was the last of last of the big guy. Yeah, well, the next second. morning at 8 o'clock, Terry was down there with his ankle tape that was bigger than a basketball, wanting to get in the ring. Of course, we wouldn't mind him getting in the ring with his ankle. He'd go ahead, let the ankle heal up, and then come back next week or whenever it's healed. <laughs> so that, that's what he did, and uh, the rest is history.
1: Well, and, and, uh, and Brutus talked about that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys were considering that he had the long hair and uh, they, there was the resistance to someone like that coming into the business. And, of course, you always uh, tested him. But uh, I guess that made it clear that, that he really wanted to get into this business.
0: Well, it did. And uh, that, that was, he's right about that. I mean, uh, Brutus was talking about the uh, 70s and 80s with long hair. I mean, think about Jack and I in the 60s with that long hippie hair. <laughs> hey, hippie boy! I mean, we were right. you? Know, I had bell-bottom pants. I had flare shirts. I had the hippie hair. I mean, you know, a whole hmm. nine yards. was right. I was still hell. I was 21, 22 years old. You know, right. <laughs> and I wasn't married. So you know, uh, I, you know, did what it took. You know? And so. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, long hair was looked at different back in the sixties uh, and seventies and uh, a story about Brutus and, and Terry, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the story, but, uh, we, 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 Terry was here and he basically was going to quit because Johnny Valentine was booking and he just really didn't know what to do with Terry at the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. Terry was green, but he was so big. We didn't want to put him out there and beat him because of his size. So we, we, I, uh, Jack told, uh, terry hey why don't why don't you go up to tennessee i'll call jerry lawler and see what i could do so jack called lawler got got uh uh, terry uh hogan booked in uh in uh memphis in uh the the golf stoves uh wrestling uh area up there and we told him when you're ready because terry's want to go to new york right away you're not ready to go to new york you're not ready to go when you when you're ready when you go to memphis and you, you do good up in there you come back well one day I, I just moved into my house here where I live now and knock on the door. I look and it's, it's, it's it Brutus and it, it Terry and I, and I have pool table room. So we come in, I come on in. So we started playing pool and we started talking. I said, let me call Jack. Jack lives a few miles from me. So Jack came over, Terry said, I think I'm ready. You know, we did good up in Memphis and by then Terry was three thirty three hundred thirty 330 pounds and had a full head of hair and looked great. You know? Ten like he always was. So Jack picked a phone call, Van senior and, uh, said, Hey, we got a guy for you down here. And, uh, you know, you'll like him. He's, he's meant to be, uh, New York. You know, we, he's so big. We, we, we don't have a spot for him down here. So senior said, send him up here. So uh, we gave, I gave Terry a hundred dollar bills. And Jack ordered Terry a pair of boots and gave Terry his first pair of boots. And I gave him a hundred dollars and we sent him on the road. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Terry paid me back a hundred dollars.
1: Oh, wow. Well, that's important, right?
0: Yeah, that's Back real important. I've given a lot of guys well, I mean, hundred dollars, but, but it's not just
1: do. the hundred dollars. It's just being stand up, you know. And I know that's it's important.
0: Been, he's been the person that Terry is, and Terry yeah. gets a lot of flack, but you know, he, he's always. Every time I see him, he thanks me. And he's always grateful and gracious, and I mean, you know, the guy remembers. And the same with Beefcake. Beefcake, I was, you know, went up to him after the Hall of Fame at Romania this year, and he hugged I me. Mean, he said, "Hey, man." It has a lot to do with you. And I said, man, mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. You know, all the way and from mainly, the John, fight. I got one of the best compliments I've ever received It had nothing to do about wrestling. Bobby Lashley. I found Bobby Lashley at, at still at, at the Colorado Springs, still in the Olympic Training Center at Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine that was a uh, media uh, supervisor called me. I got this big uh, African American uh, fellow here that wants to be a Pro wrestler. He was uh, 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 NAI national champion at uh, Missouri Valley State. And he wants to be a pro wrestler. I said, uh, uh, give, give, give me give him my contact number. So Bobby called me. I flew out to Colorado Springs, met Bobby, and you know, and uh, called back to the office, and we hired him and we got him early out of the army. He's still in the army, but uh, Bobby Lassick, I, I, I preached, to Bob. Bobby, save your money, buy property. So Mm -hmm. WrestleMania, uh, Bobby's with his family. His two kids, his his three kids and his wife. He introduces me to his family and said, this is the guy who taught me how to save money and buy property. That Mm -hmm. made me feel so good, you know, better than somebody saying I taught him a move and it's a favorite Mm -hmm. move, you know, because I helped this guy, you know, Save his, curious oh, save
1: his yeah. <laughs> oh, curious future
0: save his money that made that made me feel so good that somebody would say something like that to his
1: family you know? yeah well i know there's a long list jerry of, of people that you you found and i i do want to get into talking about how you uh, transitioned to a scout but uh before we do that and and you mentioned uh being a member of the chickasaw tribe and i know that you are very proud of that and uh I I wanted to ask you about those matches that you had with uh, Jay Youngblood and and Ricky Steamboat, along with your brother, because if people really uh, just see what that, you know, at that point, what you guys did uh, for Native Americans here in this country, I don't know if you were aware of it at the time. Was it something you guys were conscious about, or you just felt that uh, it would come out uh, eventually when people realized, you know, uh, where you came from and, and who you were?
0: We were always very conscious of of who we were and where we came from. And uh, I think that's what kept us so grounded all the time. You talk to people about my brother Jack. He was probably the most humble guy that you'd ever come across in the world. I mean, the guy had accolades that, you know, guys dream of, you know, of, of having, you know. And Jack accomplished everything he did. He was. He was uh, he was recruited by the great Bud Wilkinson at the uh, University of Oklahoma to play football for him. And he turned it down to could take a raster scholarship at Oklahoma State. He was a very accomplished athlete, a very modest man, very humble man, and uh, uh, Jack and I, had, you know, they everybody thinks that was Jack and I's first heel turn. We, mm-hmm. you know, we turned full ball heel in, in the Carolinas, but you know going around because we were hitting so many areas that sometimes you got go into kansas City and you'd wrestle their babyface team
1: and you know you'd
0: have to get a little aggressive and and we we would never you know pretend like we were hills i mean that wasn't our game we would still be a wrestler but we would just be so damn aggressive and so so on you and in your space that, that you hated us you know yeah we, and we were hills but we got a lot of practice with the Funk brothers down in Texas. When, you know, Oklahoma and Texas would, and cutting promos. You go down there and get on there. And, you know, you, an Oki can cut a Texas promo, you know, at a drop of a hat and vice versa. So uh, we'd already had experience. So we went into Carolinas, and it was at the very end of our career. And, uh, you know, we had never been tag team world champion. We'd run every top of the belt. we would uh, some versions of them but the carolina tag belt was considered the world the, the one you know so a uh, young blood and steamboat had just come off of one of the biggest angles ever with sergeant slaughter and don Carnoodle, and they set record houses everywhere for about two years and slaughter had just signed with wwe so he was leaving wwf at the time so he was leaving and so that kind of left ricky and jay out out without a two dancing partners and uh Jack and I were, were baby faces, and that was a big territory. They ran three towns a night, seven days a week, and that's a, that's a lot of mm-hmm. towns, a lot of talent. But Ricky and Jay was looking for somebody to work with. One night we were returning from a town, and uh, and uh, Ricky just happened to apologize, hey, why don't you guys turn the hill and work with us? And uh, where well, the four of us started talking about it, the more we talked about it, the more, more good stuff we came up with. A road trip back in those days where you did all your you're figuring and angling, you know, because you had such long road trips. So, uh, yeah, we the next day with TV, we we proposed to Jim Crockett, and they, like I said, they were at three said, Man, I can't do it. He said, "I, I need," because it's babyface driven territory. He said, "I need you guys, you know, to be our, be our other babyface team." And Jack looked at Jimmy. He said, I, "Jimmy, I didn't come here to be the B team babyface. I come here to, you know, to be the A team worker." Uh-huh. And so, you know, if he can use us, you know, well, maybe we should find someplace else. Jimmy said, no. Well, if you really believe it'll work, we'll give it a shot. So, mm-hmm. uh, we talked him into it and, uh, we, we just did it. We did a simple little deal and it's, it's still on YouTube now where, uh, Ricky, I had to figure four on, I think Jay and Ricky did a chop to Jack cross and Jack hit the ropes and come off and he dove on Jay and my uh, figure four, you know it's supposed to when somebody jump on it you know hurt hurt your leg so jay sold it really good you know and, and ricky of course they said we did it on purpose and back and forth we would did another match and then when the referee wasn't to work it we did the same move on purpose behind the referee's back and we just gradually you know wrestling wise turned heel and just became very aggressive and and then we ended up breaking all the records, slaughtering canoodle and canoodling, uh young boat mm-hmm. steamboat broke uh said set, set two years before and uh, we're off and running. It was it was it was, it was a pleasure working with the Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Jay, you know, he, he he's a Hispanic but he was going to, uh, as a native and uh, right. there's always, you know, he wore the headdress and and a little backstory here. Promoters always wanted us to do the Indian gimmick, but we were we were so prideful right. of our, our of our heritage. Neither one of us we were always
1: refused to do that. So you didn't also, want it to be a gimmick.
0: I didn't want it to be a gimmick. No, that's who I am. That's I'm not right. a gimmick. <laughs> I'm right. Gerald Berson. Right. I'm Chickasaw, and I'm proud of it. You know. And I but was there a
1: way to do that? Like and be able because, uh, you know, like you said, Jay was Hispanic, but uh, the way it was presented, like somebody with. Uh, you know, we spoke with Chris Chavez recently and, um, it was important to him. He wanted to have that, uh, and was, well, he he thought it was to. a way he, he could promote. It. He we it we could... had
0: amateur wrestling. The difference yeah. between, uh, Tatanka and Jack and I, we had yeah. amateur wrestling as, as our backup. That was, that was our gimmick where amateur right. wrestling was our gimmick, you know? Right. So she so didn't feel the didn't need have that, to do that. So I do... didn't feel the need. Jack didn't feel the need to have a gimmick, you know, cause we were who we were. I mean, there was nobody could beat us, you know? And, uh, nobody could outwork us and we knew that i mean you know in the in the back of mind we knew that but we didn't need a gimmick you know and i uh, and so um so uh oh, during during the steamboat young but uh deal uh the old back in the old days you know you always if if there was a uh, native american you always stole his headdress and ripped it up and tore it up and really made a guy mad so right. one night i stole jay's headdress and uh they said, are you going to rip it up? I said, hell no. I said, my story on interviews tomorrow says I have so much respect for this that, uh, Jay Youngbrough never earned that title of the chief. He just made himself yeah. a chief and bought him a headdress. Yeah. Well, I resent that. So I'm, I'm keeping that headdress as my own, you know, I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to tear it up. I have too much respect for for the heritage of that and what that signifies, you know, just a promo, a, a realistic promo like that, you know, that, uh, why should I tear some of sacred to me up, you know, when he's using it for a prop, you know, did you mention your heritage? Is, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And the thing yeah. about it, you know, the, uh, the, the announcers, they knew we're native Americans and especially Gordon. Sully would enhance right. that so much. You know, he's yeah. got the spirit, the fighting spirit of a native American. He's got this of a native American, you know, you, you know, you can only push him so far before he breaks. And then, you know, that native american spirit that fighting spirit comes out of them so we had we'd always prompt the announcers to build up right. our heritage and our background our amateur wrestling and and our and our uh and our uh our our bloodline uh on air so we didn't need to dress up one we let the announcers do their job making right. us native americans and telling the people we're native americans because we are we're in the chickasaw nation hall of fame you know so uh we are native americans so uh so that was it, and then we ended up having a match. Jay and I ended up having a match where the winner gets a headdress back. And so uh, uh-huh. the only time I ever wore a headdress in my life, I wore it to the ring that night because it was a headdress match, and Jay beat me, and he got his headdress back. But I didn't rip it up, and I didn't tear it up, and everybody, I, and it got over, and everybody said, well, can't believe it got over because you didn't tear up his headdress." Right. I said, "Well, right. it got over because of the story we told." And uh, back, there's a key word: the story we told. There's not a lot of stories being told now. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. And, and uh, I mentioned what uh, great uh, judges of talent you were. You must have seen a, uh, a magic in a young Ricky Steamboat. How special was he?
0: Oh, wow. Well, here, here's the deal with Ricky Steamboat. And I don't know if you've heard the story, so you might be getting a scoop here. Uh, it, uh, but the story's out there. Yeah. Ricky Steamboat came to us. Uh, so he was from St. Petersburg. But he, he went up to uh, Vern Gagne School and broke in with Vern Gagne. So after he broke in, he wanted to come back home. So he got himself booked in Florida. Richard Blood. So I at that time I was I was doing the booking of the territory, so I always had to get to the arenas early. So I got there a couple of hours early and I walk in the walk in the dressing room, there in the baby face dressing room, sitting this really good looking young guy, looks fantastic. You know, holy cow. Walked over and introduced himself. He said, My name is Richard Blood. And I said, Richard Blood, he said, Yes, he said, I just got here from Minnesota. Uh, uh, I'm booked here tonight. You know, I said, Great, you know, so I introduced myself, and I went I got Jack was over in another dressing room. I said, Jack, you got to come and meet this kid over here. I said to him, man, he's good looking. He's a stud. He built like a brick shed house, but his name's Blood. We can't let a baby face be Richard Blood. So Eddie got there. I told Eddie the same story. So I took Jack and Eddie over. We got Ricky in the back in the hallway back there. All right, Richard Blood, you're a baby face. You cannot have that name, Richard Blood. You cannot be Richard Blood. So we started coming up with names. And, you know, as deal, we started coming up with the real hokey, Katiki names, Coke, uh, cabana names, you know, mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that. And finally, uh, and said, you know, we had an Hawaiian guy, because Ricky's part of Hawaiian. we had a Hawaiian guy here that got over Sammy Steenboe, got over like a million dollars. Huh. Why don't you be his cousin, Ricky, uh, Rich, Rick, Richie Steenboe, Ricky Steenboe and ricky said i like that name so he became <laughs> that's how he became ricky steamboat so uh, once again we had ricky here and he was doing so good but there was just no room in the territory for uh, a baby face. So we called uh ollie and sent him to georgia and he got up there and ollie was beating him every day and jimmy crockett saw him he said send him to me over in charlotte i could use him because i need so uh, only sent Ricky to Charlotte, and you know, I, and again, the rest is history.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he did. He did okay. <laughs> he did
0: okay. So I had a I had a hand in changing his name you know, from Richard Blood to Ricky Steamboat.
1: Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah. Tell me about how the you guys never spent uh, much time working in the WWF WWE at the time, but uh, it became quite a relationship, as we all know. But how did that all begin? And and it was the it was just the beginning when Junior was taking over, uh when when uh you guys uh, sold uh uh Georgia Championship wrestling and some uh Florida steak. Tell me about how that whole relationship started and uh where it went from there.
0: Well back in the seventies when when we were getting started, you know, there wasn't like you said before, there wasn't no internet, there wasn't no online service, there wasn't no dirt sheet or anything like that. There was probably a one or two little dirt sheets but they weren't they weren't like they are now so if, if if a promoter had a good guy and he wanted uh uh some publicity he would call vince senior and, and get him booked on 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 a garden show up there so after bring all the magazines there and uh they'd get stories on it, uh, the interview for three or four hours take a million pictures of you and they would use them for magazine articles so we were booked for Vince Senior several times. Danny Graham would call Vince, hey, I need to send the goes up there. I need to send Jack up there. I need to send Jerry up there. And same with Jim Crockett. He would say, hey, I need need a favor. I need to, need some publicity on these guys. These are my main guys. So that was really the way you got your publicity because, you know, they didn't have a big budget to send send photographers and uh, journalists down to territory. So the promoters would call uh, Vince, <coughs> excuse me, we call Vince senior and get, get you booked on a big garden. So that way you'd be exposed in front of all that New York media. So, uh, that's, uh, that's when I first met junior, you know, and we, you know, he was, he was about the same age as me, he's a year older than me, and uh, we became friends, you know, casual friends back and forth, you know, cause I didn't make a habit of going to New York and working. I just go up there maybe once a year for like three or four years in a row to get the, get the, get the, the photo off for the mags and everything. So. Mm-hmm. The more I went up there, you know, the more I talked to Junior, because you know, we had a lot in common, same age and everything, he went to East Carolina, so he was familiar with, uh, with Mid-Atlantic wrestling and and all that, and plus Eddie Graham and uh, uh, Vince Sr. were really close friends, so uh, we'd have Vince Sr. down for our big shows in Miami and stuff like that, and introduce them, actually use the the WWF champion, uh, Billy superstar Graham and Bruno down in Miami and Fort Lauderdale a few times to, you know, because that was, you know, in the, in the wintertime, that's where all the snowbirds come from New York. And so they'd see a familiar face. So let's go to wrestling with that. introduction to Florida championship wrestling. So we had a pretty good co-op going, going at that time. Uh, uh, so, uh, so anyway, I, I, that's how I met Vince Jr. And then, uh, then, you know, uh, we went back and, uh, we, uh, we started going and, uh, and, uh, I guess you want me to go into the story of how we made the sale, right? That, that was yeah. But,
1: but no, this is really interesting though, because you mentioned how, uh, you know, a lot of people used that opportunity. It was for publicity because New York was the Mecca. That was the place that's where right. they had, you know, the, uh, guys would go for these magazine shots and, uh, you know, so it, it it lays kind of the groundwork for this relationship uh, because you guys had another business going. I mean, besides while all your work working and Vince saw an opportunity and and uh, it was it seemed like good timing for you guys.
0: Yeah, it was it was a great time. We were at like I said, it was at the end of the, the steamboat young blood uh, uh, run up there, up there with the, with the titles and Jack yeah. was really wanting to retire at the time. I mean, he was just. He was burning. Jack Jeff yeah. was only in his probably running just turned 40 at that time, uh, uh, which it sounds though, but in our business, it's not old. And so, yeah. but he was wise, you know, and saved his money and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. So, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, we had the territories there. So we, we developed a relationship with that. So he was, Jack was ready to, to quit. So. We went Georgia championship wrestling under TBS being the first cable system in the, in the United States, you know, that we went, uh, nationwide. We started looking at it a lot of NWA was really in financial trouble. And a lot of territories and professional wrestling was, was dying at the time. I mean, just dying. There were just a few select areas that, that were drawn business where guys could make a living. So. We, we we took Georgia and we, we looked at the at the ratings map that we get from Channel uh seventeen and at the time I was I was slowing down too and I I'd i I kinda of phased myself out of the ring and started putting the promoter's hat on and because we were opening up West Virginia, Ohio and Michigan and parts of Pennsylvania to uh, to the N W A through uh Georgia Championship Racing. So we had two territories running out of one at the time. So they needed somebody to run that, and I was a partner, so I took over that that portion of it and kind of pioneered that, and we were busting open. We are selling out. A business was bigger there. So Jack and I, you know, being who we are, we said, you know, why don't we do this nationwide? Well, Jim Barnett was a partner, early Anderson partner, Fred Ward was a partner, Paul Jones, one of the original NWA guys. None of them wanted to go against anybody. None of them wanted to do it, but we saw what Vince was doing, and uh we were coping Vince at this time. we were taking his lead, but we had the vehicle. He didn't have the vehicle to do it, but we had the vehicle, but we couldn't get our partners to do it, and our partners kept we were uh, those southern wrestling back and those and wrestling in general a lot of promoters in the old days were shady people I mean they weren't very honest people, even your own partners you had to really watch it back so we we felt we were we weren't getting our share and we also felt like uh like Oli was, was drawing money from Jim Crockett, booking his territory and drawing a book in our territory and double dip. And we didn't like, him. we had two territories running, but he was trying to book all three of them. And he, you know, he just couldn't keep all three of them hot at the same time. So we said hell with it. So we, we, we got together one night, Jack and I was talking, let's sell our stock. So, okay. So we were going to sell it to. So we went, we did the right thing. We went around, we offered to all the NWA guys. As soon as Oli, heard we were trying to sell oldie was telling everybody hey you know this company be lucky and make it another year and it's not worth it now here's a guy that owns has part of the part of the michigan ohio and west virginia territory telling everybody his own territory that he run he's running his book and it's going to go down so everybody says oldie's telling you, you're asking too much money for it so uh so uh, of course we couldn't make the sale to an nwa N- 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 guy so uh we are at, at uh, Middle making doing promo day with Jim Crockett, and we heard that Roddy Piper had been hurt, cut his fingers on a table, and would maybe lose three fingers. So uh, somebody called Vince Jr. And, and asked about Piper, and Jim Crockett said, I'm not calling him. I don't want to talk to that ass. So I don't want to talk to that bastard, you know. And uh, nobody else Jackson, well, You got his number, Jimmy? He said, I got his number, but I ain't calling him, Jack. So hell, I'll call him, you know. Yeah. So I want to know how Piper is. So, uh, Picked up the phone, called Vince, started talking to Vince, asked about Piper and everything, and uh, got that all over with and Vince said, Jack, I want to ask you a question. if you can't answer, just don't answer. Say I'll talk to you later and uh and when I, when you get home, give me a call. And he uh-huh. said, Are you guys interested in coming up here as talent? And Jack said, I don't know. And he said, Are you interested in selling me your territory? Uh that's a possibility. But we're doing promos right now. Vince, can I call you back? And uh, and uh, and so Vince said, yeah. So Jack come up, and hung up. And Clark said, why are you gonna call him back? And he said, well, he he he's, he wanted to ask me a question about. It. I forgot what Jack said. But anyway, as soon as we got got finished with promos, we went to Jack's apartment and picked up a phone call. Vince and we just happened to be off. That was a teaser. We happened to be off on Thursday, and Vince said, do you guys got any day off? Fly up there, so. Vince flew us to New York. We met at LaGuardia airport in the back when Eastern airlines was running. We were in one of their sky clubs, Eastern clubs and, <laughs> and a conference yeah. room in there and, and, set up the deal. And that's as simple yeah. as that.
1: <laughs> uh, tell me what, it, what it was like back then. Cause this, what a big part of this, uh, especially when everything was starting to change there was cable. Now cable was in its infancy, but we all know how important, uh, coverage is with, uh, with wrestling and, uh, at that point, like you're saying that you wanted to expand, I, I, I assume that you guys understood, uh, you know, the vision of what was going to be happening. I think, you know, Vince did, he was syndicating his television programs, sending tapes to stations, but did you see what was happening in the landscape? Cause most people just said cable, <laughs> that's not going to last, but did you see, uh, the future?
0: Well, you know, you hear it right on the head. I mean, cable TV, when cable came out, uh, a lot of people didn't know where cable was going, but wrestling yeah. promoters could see, wrestling promoters thought cable was the worst thing in the world that could happen to the wrestling business. The right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So, very worst thing in the world because their product was anytime you, you know, you, you got a, you got a local TV show in Arizona, right. say where, you, where you're where at uh, and you see that TV show every, every week. Well, all of a sudden a new product is, is on TV and right. you've never seen these guys before. You're going to start losing viewers on on the one that you can watch every week, you know. And then all of a sudden, you're seeing these news. So TBS was was the key, and and the promoters knew it would it would be the end of the wrestling business as we knew it at that time. I mean, we knew that, and yeah. the promoter knew it. We weren't. I mean, I mean, we weren't that smart, we we we're, were the only ones in the country that knew that. Uh, no, but you you understood it though,
1: and you you we wanted understood. to go for it. Right. You wanted to go, we
0: wanted, we wanted to do it, but we didn't have the partnership to do it, you know, or that was willing to do it. And we saw what Vince was doing. And like I said, we kind of stole that philosophy from him. Hey, if he wants to do it and he's doing it through syndication, hell we got, we got national cable TV. It goes to every one of these towns that we don't have to pay for syndication, which he was paying for syndication. People don't realize that it was costing him a bundle to syndicate that show nationwide. Well, if you have cable, you didn't have to do all the syndications, you know, you just had the cable there and you were hot and not everybody had cable, but we would get the we would get penetration chart from WTBS that showed where our our shows had the most penetration and what then major cities. So we pinpointed those major cities. We sat down and and had a strategy meeting. Okay. Cleveland, Ohio has got 345,000 viewers. Dayton, Ohio has got 125,000 viewers, you know? Mm-hmm. And our, you know, that's a syndicated TV show. We got thirty thousand viewers. So we're gonna run this market here. And like I said, we were doing so good in those markets because we were new, new a new product that people were wanting to watch.es And we we had some superstars, Tommy Rich and uh, all those guys, the Freebirds at the time. Everybody was so hot, you know, that we just had. Megastars and all the all the stars wanted to come to Georgia because of that TV uh, operation we had there. We knew we knew we had the vehicle to do it, but we just didn't have the partnership to do it, you know. And we wanted to do it, but like I said, our partners were old school NWA and they just did not want to do it. But Vince had the balls to do it, and so that's who we ended up with. The guy with balls.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, it, it turned out very well for you guys. And that's as with others who made that same decision, uh, Vince was very loyal to them. And I know over the years that, uh, people that made that decision, he gave them a choice, uh, either, you know, you get on the train or it's going to leave you here at the station. And, uh, exactly. yeah. And you guys are among those who, who saw it and we uh, we'll fast forward here. Yeah. Cause we've kept you a while, but, um, Fast forwarding here, it became a, a, a really a, a big part of your life now. I mean, you've been uh, a part of the WWE now for uh, a while, and uh, I've I, been
0: I, WWE thirty-five years now.
1: Yeah, it's just it's amazing to think in all that you've done with uh, as an agent. People don't realize the, the behind the scenes, but um, and I know you uh,
0: Sean. I think I've held every position there was to hold <laughs> with uh,
1: with <laughs> WWE at one time or another.
0: Yeah. i was i was amazed at each position i mean you know each position i was very proud to do and each position was bigger and better and uh and i i i'm a blessed i'm a happy blessed uh man uh for for making that decision my loans helped my brother you know we made it work uh, yeah and,
1: and i know that uh and there, there, there were no you know everybody says
0: there were lifetime guaranteed jobs. There were no lifetime guaranteed jobs. If there was, my brother would have been working when he died, but, uh, but he wasn't, you know? And uh, so, uh, it's just, you know, you know, that yourself, if you don't carry your weight, you don't stay with it, you know? So I feel like I've carried my weight for 35 years there because I'm still there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I I know you've told this story and it's, it's just fun to talk about, but, uh, with the, the stooge era, that, um but what I find what I really just always wanted to ask you and uh you know I tried to talk to Pat out about it but you know like he said he's the uh, he kind of just passes it off but uh at the time when that was suddenly realized Vince realized the heat that he had and this was after the Montreal screw job of course but really uh it could have happened sooner as far as I'm concerned because it's just a natural angle to have Vince and he fu- suddenly realizes what power he had as a talent and i always wondered when when you guys are brought into this were you blown away by the reaction that was it kind of just oh what the hell just for a fun thing and then man it just blew up
0: it took off I mean, we were blown <laughs> away i mean uh, when we when we first did it, we had no clue i mean we just and it just happened by accident you know i know there's a certain guy who has a podcast that you know he planned it all and all this stuff but
1: <laughs> No. It
0: didn't happen like that. We were it was somewhere stone cold. We were in Chicago, so we Vince called a special board meeting and in that board meeting, you know, and yeah. I were in the board meeting. All of a sudden we were Vince's right head men, you know, yeah. just off of this promo and just the little action, like I said, the goofier I'd be the more over I'd be. So uh I'm pretty goofy guy at times, you
1: know, (laughs) so I've seen you in action. I just
0: let it. roll, and I had so much fun, Sean, I I got to tell you, I just, there was, uh, I had more fun doing that. I mean, I got beat up. I was in my fifties and Pat was in his late fifties. I got so beat up and I was so hurt and so beat up at times. I didn't know if I could make it to the ring, but the crowd was so responsive and so, so thrilling that, you know, that adrenaline would start flowing and that pain would go away, but. I, I made it my, my my uh my mission to take every guy's finish from uh the choke slam from Undertaker the Tombstone, uh-huh. yeah. the choke slam from Kane and by the way, Kane was a stiff
1: so I'm a gun oh. in that ring, man. He it <laughs> choked you're supposed to be God? doing that at fifty, Jerry. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it not, because that's the reason he was stiff, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it probably yeah. just felt because nobody else could play, you know. But uh <laughs> But I I just wanna take a rock ball I wanna take everybody's finish, you know, just say, Hey man, I took everybody's to finish at yeah. fifty years I Went through a table, you know, and did all yeah. that stuff. I mean I, I, we Pat and I did it all, you know. We were godfathers through a hand. I threw up on nationwide, nationwide <laughs> T V when the hand was born, you know <laughs> so We had a we, I had fun doing that. Yeah, Pat you had could tell. fun doing it too. He, he he tells it. He tells it all oh, right, you know, because Pat was so serious. Oh, well, that's, that's, Pat. Serious. But, that's But Pat. when Pat and I talk, he you know, he, he, oh, I have a boy, he and he eats kids all the time. Yeah. People are call him, hey, Briscoe. Uh, you know, i call him Briscoe sometimes. You're one of the students. Well, I'm one of the students, but I'm not Briscoe. <laughs> so, well, you know,
1: uh, we had Pete Gasson, and uh, you know he talks about the mean wow. street posse. <laughs> and really – that uh he recounted that uh, you know that uh, after that that uh night that you guys had and he's in a car he doesn't know was it good was it bad i mean of course you could see the reaction but he gets a phone call uh from Vince telling telling him that he was proud of him and it was great and i guess it turned out to be at uh, at the time i don't know if it's been uh, it, the highest rated episode ever of raw right the highest
0: rated segment of raw ever yes yeah <laughs> Still to this day, because you know yeah, the, they, never, it, 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 I don't think it will ever be broken. It was yeah. an eight point something, eight point two or eight point three. I yeah. don't know what it was, but totally. it was, On cable, it was that's highest. Your- uh, yeah, it was the highest rated segment of all time. I, the, consider the stars that we were up even at that time. I mean, every major star in the in business was with WWE at the time. You know, Stone Cold, that's- The Rock, Mick Foley, all of them. You know. But we, we had amazing. the highest highest segment, but it was yeah, fun and wow. we had a ball. And Pete Gas and and Rodney, I mean, wow, those two kids! I can't I can't compliment them enough. I mean, they were as green as grass.
1: Oh my god! And yeah. we
0: just told them to listen to us, you know, do what we tell you to do. And they they went out there and they listened to us and they did exactly what we wanted them to do. And they they we, we told them to bring it, you know, be aggressive with us, you know, and that, so it, yeah. so it would look good, you know. Mm-hmm. And that night it just clicked, and I've you know, I've had a lot of ovation, but that night, I tell you, it was one, that was a thrill. And to show you, you know, you know how it is, at WWE. You know, everybody, you have a good match, and people are in the back waiting for you to come, right. come through those curtains.
1: Yeah. Well, you love and, the uh, love the crowd, but nothing means more than your peers. Uh, yeah, and telling. it even makes me a
0: little emotional. I, I, we yeah. finished that match; they got us out, out of the ring, and we walked back. First one there was Undertaker yep and he he let pat a cigarette and undertaker don't smoke he lit let pat a yep. cigarette gave it to him and he grabbed <laughs> me and hugged me and he said man that's the greatest thing i've ever seen he said i was sitting in the back and i heard the noise and i wow. had to get and you know taker don't don't sell nothing he said wow. i had to get up and see what was going on he said i never enjoyed anything so much all my life thank you guys and we walked through there and said an ovation i mean that was great
1: yeah, yeah. Like I said, that. I mean, of course, you know, you can be in front of a hundred thousand people, and yes, that's that's tremendous. But when the guys that are back there and they see everything every day, they yeah. uh, to have that uh, adulation from them is uh, really the ultimate for people to have their their peers tell them something like that and man that that's the biggest
0: thrill awesome. you can get in the business i yeah. think the biggest you get the biggest compliment you can get in the business when you walk through that back door and that curtain and there there's all your peers there
1: yeah um i want to ask about your your uh your health uh, with the strokes and i know that uh vince had something to do with with uh, with getting you fixed uh because i think you had three or four strokes four before that four strokes, before they yeah. found yeah
0: yeah, It was traumatic to me. Uh, I had one stroke, I guess, while I was working. Didn't even know it, you know, the yeah. first one. Uh, but they found the the blood spot on my brain when they did the right. those, the CAT scans. And then the the, the next uh, next uh, next one, uh, I remember having it, but it was just nothing. But the the, the third one. My wife found me on the bathroom floor I, I was getting ready to go to Charlotte, North Carolina of all places. And I uh, got up that morning and, uh, and, uh, went into the bathroom. was getting ready. And I, I guess I went to brush my teeth and grabbed my toothbrush. And I, when I went over to pick it up, I, I remember I, I fell and I couldn't get up. My wife heard me fall and kicked the door open, saw me trying to push my arm over, grab my toothbrush and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting there. What are you doing on the floor? She said, "I didn't know where I was or what I was doing or anything." Oh. So she rushed me to the hospital, of course. And I said, you, have, you, you had a stroke, you know, You're putting you in the in in hospital." So, you know, I got I got over that one, and and, uh, and then uh, I, I I had I had another one. Then then the third one, I was getting ready to, or the last one, the fourth one, I was getting ready to go. I'd already changed jobs. and you know after the first one, I could doctor said I couldn't go on the road anymore. So told Vince I was gonna to have to quit and he said, I'm not letting you quit. You know, you don't have to be on the road, but you know, you've been with me since the beginning, so uh, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. You know, I just wanna get well, you know. So yeah. he said, Well get well and make up your mind what you want to do. So, you know, I talked to JR and a couple of other guys, a couple of my friends, Bruce and you know, hey, you know, you do you 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 scout and you're not even a scout. You know, we don't have a scouting system. Why don't why don't you Put that together. So I, I said, I, I called Vince. I said, I want to be a talent scout. You know, I've already recruited uh, Angle, uh, a couple of these other guys, Joe Hogan, and Kevin Nash, and some of these other guys that you know are on my list. And uh, he said, Great. He said, When do you want to start? And I said, Well, wrestling season starts in uh, October. He said, well, When you start, just send me your, your your tournament list, and I'll prove it and go go get us some talent. So that's how I started doing the yeah. talent scouting, but my my fourth uh, four stroke, I was in uh, uh, St. Joe's Hospital here in Tampa for a week, and they ran every kind of a neurological test on me they could possibly run, I thought, you know, and they couldn't find out what was wrong with me. Well, my weight's good. You've seen me, Sean. I keep myself in good shape. My yeah. weight was good. My cholesterol was good. My blood pressure was good. Everything was good, and they couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me, you know, mm-hmm. and why I kept having these strokes, but – uh like I said, I was on my way to Guadalajara, Mexico, and I'd got up that morning. I did an hour of cardio because I knew I'd be down there for a week, and I didn't know if I'd be able to do any cardio. So, uh, I did an hour of cardio here in my house, and I went, got ready, was getting ready, going to have a little bit of time. So I got on my computer, thought I'd check my email before I went to the airport, and I well, I went to turn on my computer, and I had one of the computers at the time where you had to hit Control Alt Delete, you know, to turn on the computer. Right. I could not get my fingers to work. I could not get, get my hands to do it. I had a stroke, I guess, while I was either showering or doing cardio and didn't realize it. And when I, I couldn't tie, I couldn't get my computer on. So I just put my computer up and I couldn't tie my shoe. My son, Wes was taking me to the airport and he come in and he, I was talking about it. He said, what's wrong dad? I said, I don't know. I just can't tie my shoe. And he said are you going to Mexico? And I said, yeah. And I said, yeah, we got to go. So he, he said, I want you to go. And I said, well, I need to go. So, you know, I was just starting and I didn't Stubborn, know. Stubborn after
1: three you strokes, it. you don't realize maybe something's <laughs> going on.
0: Oh uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm a dumb, am a Stubborn. Player. So, uh, so he took me to the airport and his dad and then all the way there, he's preaching to me. So I, uh, we get there and uh, I can't open the door. So he said, I'm going to take you out. No, I said, let me out. Dad. He, so he we were around and opened the door to let me out of the tra- truck. And when he opened the door, I fell out of the damn truck. And I said, Jeez. he said, dad, you're not going I said, Yes, I am. So I walked <laughs> on in the airport. He took off and when mm-hmm. I got in the airport, I didn't know what I was in the airport for, yeah. I didn't know where I was going. And so mm-hmm. I'm standing there. I'm kind of lost, you know, and I, and I finally make it through security. And I don't know how I did that, but I as I made it through security, it just hit my mind. I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to yeah. Guadalajara, where, O'Hara, where yeah. tequila's made, and I'm a tequila idiot. You know, <laughs> I'm yeah. not ashamed to say it. I love tequila. Yeah. I'm an idiot yeah. when I drink it. You know, and I, and I said, you know, I might die down there. Yeah. I called Wes. And I said, Wes, I said, come and get me. He said, Well, I'm I'm right down the street here. I didn't go too far. So I was hoping he'd change his mind. So he came back and got me. He took me straight to the hospital. They put me in the hospital. I spent a week in the hospital. They couldn't find out why I was having these damn strokes. I had had another stroke in my fourth one. So Vince, that that Friday, I was getting out of the hospital. And so Vince called me right before I was getting out of the hospital. And you know, Vince always cheering, you you know, trying to cheer you up. And he said, you sound like shit, Briscoe. What's wrong? He said, tell me the truth. What's wrong? I said, Vince, I'm worried. I said, I've been in here a damn week. And they, they can't find out what's wrong with me. He said, uh, you want me to get you a doctor? And I said, well, I got a doctor. He, I said, he said, do you want me to get you the best doctor in the United States? I said, yes, sir. Yeah. And he said, give it, uh, uh, hang on about 15 minutes. I'll have somebody call you. So about 15 minutes later, Stephanie called me back. Uh, Stephanie McMahon called me and said, uh, mm-hmm. we have a doctor in Pittsburgh all set up for you, uh, when can you go? I said, when can you get me out? She said, we're going to have a plane there tomorrow. So they flew me up to Pittsburgh, and they found I, I was—I had, uh, had a blockage uh, aneurysm getting ready to pop in my carotid artery. And the doctor yes. there said, you'll die. I can't let you walk out wow. of this hospital. You got uh, aneurysm getting ready to pop in your carotid artery and one on your brain cell, a uh, brain stem.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: So they they yeah. Had two. They immediately put me in intensive care. They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me walk out of the hospital. So I'm up there alone, thinking I'm just going to get checked out, you know. And the, and that next morning, they're after made two major procedures on me. <laughs> and so, but uh, yeah, I credit Vets and Stephanie for that basically saving my life because I would have I would have just gone on and ignored everything, you know. But they they had the the, the foresight and the, the kindness to. Uh, call and give me give me the, the best doctors and they went up there and they found they ran a test on me and they found out right away what what, what my problem was, you know. Well, Everybody folks, was checking everything but, but those two things. But, yeah. but as you know, Andy Rizzo, they, they said, you can be one of those guys that walk into Home Depot and drop dead before you get to the front door. I said, Doc, I just won't go to Home Depot, I'll go to Lowe's, you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ace Hardware anywhere if I will go to Home Yeah, Depot.
0: anywhere by Home uh, Depot uh, <laughs> if but, I'm gonna uh, drop dead
1: there. <laughs> And folks uh, who are listening, (laughs) uh,
0: but
1: but on serious note, the the folks who are listening, you may not have Vince McMahon, uh, you know, uh, calling you. But take this stuff seriously. It's if uh, please it comes down to Take it from
0: somebody's experience. You're exactly right. Take it seriously. If you get any signs at all, you know, my lip would swell up, and I just ignore it. I couldn't talk. You know, I ignored it. I was a tough guy. You know, I remember when I was in Cincinnati. I was in the shower, and all of a sudden. I felt some pop in my neck and that doctor said that was a stroke. And I, and I ignored it and I went to work and you know how we worked. Well, I always showed up 11 o'clock in, uh, in the morning and left the building at 1230 that night. You know, then drove 200 miles to the next damn uh,
1: next damn town,
0: you know, after having a stroke and didn't even know it.
1: Yeah, somebody's watching. How, the-
0: that's how your life is on the road, right? No. Oh, no yeah.
1: kidding. Uh, yeah. And quickly, and then I want to give you some questions. We've got, uh, you know, uh, some of our listeners, boy, when they heard we were talking to you, they, uh, they lit us up and I've got a few that I want to ask, but I did want, sure. to. you mentioned being, being, a uh, a, a scout and you kind of, you pretty much started that for the WWE before uh, people would send tapes, they'd go through boxes and, and, uh, but you, you took a whole different approach to this and it is what they do today, which is, uh, you know, pretty awesome. It's kind of it reminds me of uh, I don't know, a baseball or an NFL scout. Uh what was your approach to this? How did you uh you know, and, and uh did you go out initially and look for talent?
0: Well, I don't wanna rehash everything, but you know, I was like you know, we talked with us an amateur wrestler and uh, yeah. you know I'm old and, and and most of the guys I was, I would wrestled with were in the coaching profession. So I had a, like Brock Lesnar came our way, you know, and Brock Lesnar, his head coach, he and I were in the same recruiting class at Oklahoma State together. Why well, we're called Wes. Uh, we were in the same recruiting class together. Jay Robinson, the coach, uh, was uh, Brooks, uh, Brock's coach at Minnesota. So uh, I saw Brock, I watched, you know, because I'm a wrestler, I watch the national tournament and I see this monster. He's a junior at the time and he gets beat, but he's a damn monster. And so, yeah. um, uh, I talked to J.R. about him. So J.R. pulls it up. We are uh, now we're we'll fast forward where there's internet. So you pull up a book of guys, you know? So he yeah. pulls up a picture. Oh, now this guy is a beast. I get him. I said, I can't. He's a junior. He yeah. said, well, make sure we get, him. I said, don't worry. Uh, so, uh, the next year he's a senior. So, uh, he wins the national that, that, that year. And, uh, I'd already called Jay Robinson, you know, before the national tournament, Jay, Jay told me he's uh, got him, but please don't call him. I don't want him, any distractions in him because he's going to win Nationals for us this year, right. you know, and he's a guy that's easily distracted, as we've all found out. He's, <laughs> he's easily distracted and moves on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Jay didn't want that happening to him. Yeah. So I gave Jay, said, uh, Jerry, i give you my word. As soon as the season's over with, I'll have him in my office and the following week, I'll give you a call. And you can do what you want to with him in there, but he's going to win us national championship. All right, Jay, i take your word for it. So I'm getting called from Vince and Jay, or both hey, what, what's the deal? I said, I'm not talking to him. I, I, I promised his coach that would, I wouldn't talk to him, distract him until after the season. And, and his coach is a good friend of mine and uh, or one of my ex-teammates, and I take his word for it. So... <laughs> Three days after the national tournament, my phone rings at Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. It's Jay Robinson on the phone. And he said, I, I, I got Brock Lesnar. And he said, I got your bonus. I got my salt and pepper team. I got Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin for you.
1: You Wow. Can have them. Benjamin, and so too. I
0: just scored two right off the bat, two yeah. of the best performers in WWE history, right yeah. off the bat. We were going my first goo, You know, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad way to start. No, right? no, not
1: at all. <laughs>
0: and you're right from there i mean we had no scouting department as you know at the time yeah, you know i was right. it, you know yeah. and from there now we're scouting the entire world you know the Paul Fair that's with us he's a football expert uh, William Wriggle's Wiesel does the international guys from the UK and and that part of the world so uh so uh we we got a, uh, we've heard uh, you know it's Kenyon Seaman, who was on the World Team Volleyball, he's, he's the head of our, our developmental system. He does a great job, and he, he knows athletes. And He hired uh, Paul Fair, who was head of IMG here in uh, Brandon, uh, Bradenton, Florida. IMG for the football, and that's out there. There's a football academy here in Florida, probably the top football academy in the United States. And IMG Management is one of the top management companies, so... The two guys that they've hired to to, to manage the the, uh, the division, the scouting division, are awesome people and know what they're doing. So I'm working with some really qualified people. Have uh, beaucoup respect for uh, Regal and and uh, uh, for the international. And uh, we have a camp coming up in June that uh, my amateur wrestlers are coming to that my latest crop. And we've signed some really outstanding guys. They're they're four or five on TV right now that. Uh, that are stars that that were that were amateur wrestling stars. So we opened up a, a new new uh, division of WWE that brings in the talent that brings in the food. You know, so uh, yeah, it's yeah. working. Everybody seems to be happy with it, and uh, I'm still going at it. I love doing what I'm doing. I love helping these young men uh, get a career. I, I just signed this one guy that uh, when he was a kid, he was like Mick Foley, his bought bottom ever belt that WWE ever put out on, on the merchandise stand and all the t-shirts so he was jumping off house jump beating up his brothers and all that stuff and this kid's six foot three and a half and 245 pounds and uh they can talk like uh, a million dollars and he's, he's going to be the next i'm not going to say he's the next rocker really? seen he's yeah. going to be the okay. next uh, and five
1: years from now you'll know who i'm talking about okay you can't give us his name you know he was
0: well, if you go online, and I don't want to give his name. I don't want to put any pressure on the guy. I don't want to give him a fair. name. You know, you yeah. put pressure on a guy. I yeah. put. I think I put too much pressure on him in the beginning because uh, uh Casey Jorner did like a 3,000 5, word 5,000 uh, word essay on, on, on my recruitment of this young man, yeah. so. That's if you look great. up Casey Jordan on Twitter, you can probably follow his line there and find out who I'm talking about. And you you write his name down because in four or five years, his goal is to be the fastest guy ever to get out of developmental and be on the main roster, and I think this guy could do it.
1: Yeah, he might do. It. You know, and it, it's amazing to me that it it took so long because Vince has always been kind of uh, you know ahead of everything that's going on in broadcasting and everything else that to become that you know the, the that focus because. Before And I think a lot of people even think today, oh, they find these guys that are in these independent places, which, of course, they do. But it's so much richer than that. I mean, you're out there. There's you oh, know, yeah. scouting the amateur ranks in college. You're scouting uh, MMA. You're, you know, and you've, like you said, Regal does the independence. You've got people in Europe. It's it, it really is. John, just, they they sent me the amazing. Rio
0: de Janeiro for the Olympics for 10 days to scout guy, guys. We brought eight guys back from Olympics in various wow. sports, you know. And I'm yeah, uh, going to Paris for the World Games, so I'm going to Tokyo uh, for the Olympics. So there, you're right; it's it, is ahead of the game, and uh, it's it's shocking, you know, that we didn't have that. But yeah. you know, I'll tell you a story that happened in 1993 or 94. I can't yes. remember the where when all the territories started drying up. You know, yeah. before Vince Vince when Vince started, he you know there were all these territories. He, so. He went and cherry picked the top talent out of each territory. So when he would go into that market, he would already have an established star. Yeah. And so that's the reason WWE grew so quick, I think, because he he had already purchased all the, all the major stars in okay. each one of these, uh, local territories. So when he ran in there, he didn't have to establish talent. He already had their established talent that he could plug in and, uh, and draw a house with so. In the 90s, those territories started going out of business but WWE and WWF was so big and so hot at the time that, you know, we were driving everybody out of business. So, uh, the talent pool dried up. Right. So, and so I'm they, down the they, letter. They, I was well. cleaning out my, my door. Somebody wanted some information for, uh, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. I was still one uh, that the, the, the went in the College Hall of Fame, uh, that went in last year. They were wanting some, uh, some pictures. So I, I started going through some boxes of stuff. I got up in the attic and I found this letter. 1994 to Vince McMahon. Uh, do you remember Lisa Wolf? Was you around Lisa Wolf time? Or is that after you?
1: No, you that, was after, that, that was after me. That uh, was after me.
0: she was, she was a uh, HR director and, uh, uh, some, Diego, I can, I hated the guy because as, Aspar was his name, and he, he thought he was, he was one of the big international guys. guy thought he knew everything, but he didn't know a clue about wrestling business. So, uh, So anyway, uh, the talent pool was drying up. So Vince Vince, uh, called us all together, all his inner circle together. Guys, as you know, the talent pool, how how are we going to develop talent? So I want you guys to come. I I found this letter in 1994 that, that I came up with about a developmental system here in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. At the old sportatorium where uh, Florida Championship used to have their offices, they had a ring set up. It had an upstairs where you could like make a little dormitory. We could teach guys editing. We could teach guys broadcasting. We could teach guys wrestling. We could, we could do the whole school there. So, 1994, Vince was thinking about where we're going to be able to get talent. You know, and everybody thinks that all of this. uh NXT thing just happened, you know, just, no, but this no, has no. been in the planning since yeah. 1994, I know because yeah. I was involved in it. So, yeah. uh, but it's had several incarcerations. As you know, you know, we had OVW, we had FCW, it's you F- know, we've gone F- through F- quite a few different systems, you know, until we, till we got our own now. So, uh, yeah. it's
1: but just, he was ahead of the curve in
0: 1994, yeah. knowing that we'd need an outlet for talent at some time or another. And uh, yeah.
1: and uh, that's what we're doing now. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, as I said at the uh, the top of our conversation here, what a life and I, I know you're not done yet Jerry, thank you so much for coming on primetime.
0: Thank you, brother. It was a pleasure and I, it was a great conversation. I enjoy these conversation type uh, podcasts I, I appreciate you having me on and best of luck to you
1: Oh One of the toughest men to ever step in the ring, along with his brother Jack, also a very shrewd businessman and, of course, stooge. (laughs) And he had a ball uh, doing all that. I loved my conversation with Mr. Jerry Briscoe. Love to have him back on, and I hope I see him down the road in the very near future. Uh, Folks, if you're a Patreon member, I hope you enjoyed all of the great content that we brought you exclusively uh, from Las Vegas and StarCast2. If you're not a member yet, what in the world are you waiting for? Come on. Uh, and do it before the, uh, you know, at the first part of June. Uh, don't do it uh, with these remaining days if we're, you're listening to this before May's over, but do it, you know, the first of June because then you'll you'll get all of it for that month. And uh, you can start enjoying all of the perks of being a Patreon member of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I still have uh, lots and lots of material that we gathered in Las Vegas. I mentioned my interview with Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, We'll be releasing that uh, this month. Also, I had a conversation with Scott Hall. We're going to put that up. I talked with Conrad Thompson. Had a a great conversation with him about what's happening and uh, what he's been up to and uh, how he somehow juggles four podcasts. So we've got so much more coming your way. And that that, really, that's just part of it. I, I was a very busy, busy man in Las Vegas between um, hosting all the shows and, um, and getting on stage with Bret Hart and everything else we got to do. But I was very busy also out there gathering content for our Patreon members. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. Just go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime Mooney to join us, uh, become a prime Timer or a Mooney or a member of the Legion of Who, and you'll get it all. Really, love to have you with us. And one of the many perks is uh, our birthday shout-outs to our members, and we've got one this week. Happy birthday to Joseph Mele. Joseph, uh, Joseph's birthday is uh, this Thursday, May 30th. Thursday, May 30th. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday, Joe. All righty, big announcements are coming, folks. Stay tuned. I got, I got some great stuff coming up. But I can't reveal it yet. But I, but uh, I, you're gonna love it, and it's uh, it's on the way. Uh, I I uh, love seeing uh, people that are uh, people are enjoying the episodes from the vault uh, right now with hacksaw Jim Duggan, and we're gonna keep them coming, folks. Uh, another great episode though, uh, an original episode is on the way uh, next week. So. Um, we shall see just to our Patreon members decide uh, who it's going to be, because, you know, we leave it up to them. They get to vote on who they want us to release uh, which episode. So I-, I can just tell you it's going to be a great one. Until then, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.